The Bible reveals that lasting peace, healing, deliverance, and power aren't the products of your best efforts, but that real spiritual growth happens almost effortlessly through the power of God's love. But how do you receive God's love fully for it to do its work in you? Well, I have three revelations that are sure to help. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. And if you haven't yet, I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. What more do I have to do? That's what I begged God to know in desperation about a decade after I dove headfirst into the faith. It came at a time when I was feeling more cheated than satisfied with the Christian life, and I'll get to that. But when I say that I dove headfirst into the faith, I'm not exaggerating. At 16 years old, shy, insecure me, stepped into a new church that I never knew could exist. And from the worship to the Word, Jesus was presented to me in a way that I never knew He existed either. I heard He was personal and powerful. I hadn't heard that before. So it was the first time I had hope that things could change for me. And so I wanted everything out of that faith that I could get. So if I could paint a broad stroke over the next 10 years of my life, I'd say that it was all about trying to live the Christian life in a way that would produce God's promises. It's all kind of a blur now, but I can remember some of the highlights. I went to a Christian undergraduate school. Then I worked for one of the 15 largest churches in the country. Then I joined another ministry where I climbed the ladder of leadership to become second in charge. Then I went to seminary and earned my master's in biblical studies. I went through a season where I was in church every day of the week, either learning or serving. I went through a season where I went from revival service to revival service to revival service. Still on my bookshelf are at least a few dozen books from that era of prayer strategies and deliverance curriculum, 10 steps to this, 12 steps to that. And I'm not belittling any of that. Education, book, service, they all have their place. I'm grateful for their place in my life. I'm only recalling some of this to show you the extent of what I put in to try to get the faith to produce the fruit in me that it promised in those days, these milestones, books, the rolls, they all served like dangling carrots toward that. My victory, healing, deliverance. It was always just a do this, apply this, achieve this away. That's until the day that I crashed into the reality that I was 10 years down the road feeling far more exhausted 
than victorious. I had not become the extrovert that I hoped I'd be by then. Some comments, many comments really, still triggered reminders of childhood ridicule and rejection that sent me into weeks of mind games and toxic thoughts and emotion patterns. Lust, anger, pride, just about all of the so-called seven deadly sins were still issues, some even more so. But now, added to the mix of all the existing insecurities and struggles, was this newfound fear of what it meant that I was not fixed. Is there something wrong with me, God? Is my faith not real? What more do I have to do? Have you ever wondered the same? Can you too recount everything you have tried and applied, yet admit to feeling more exhausted than energized, maybe more depressed than happy, more stressed than peaceful, more condemned than free? It's more common than you might realize. And I get it, it was me. That's why I asked God, what more do I have to do? Would a different prayer strategy help? Maybe a longer, more rigid fast? Better accountability software on the computer? A more accurate way to calculate how much to tithe? Of course, I say some of that tongue-in-cheek. But in some way, most people are living their Christian lives based on that question. What more do I have to do? God's answer to that question was to show me that I was living the Christian life all wrong. I was doing it all wrong. I thought the power of the Christian life came from living like Jesus, like as imperfect like Jesus. When in truth, I discovered the power of the Christian life comes from being loved by Jesus. Now, had you said that to me years ago, I would have scoffed. That's a message for one of those watered-down churches. That's probably what I would have said. And I would have went on my way in search of something deeper, something more sensational. And I did. I chased all that for 10 years, only to try all that and be left wanting, only to hear from God, let yourself be loved. A couple weeks ago, I chatted with Joyce Meyer's daughter, Sandra McCollum, about her experience with the same thing. Our conversation is on my podcast, but she said, I tried until I almost died. She said she almost quit Christianity because she felt like she couldn't live it. That's until, as she put it, she was hit by a tidal wave of God's love in which God said, I love you just the way you are. And she said that did more to change her and strengthen her and grow her in 10 seconds than 10 years of all of her own effort. And it was the same for me. Now, I know maybe, maybe that seems backward from reality. In this world, we are taught that we have to do to get. We have to prove to receive. We have to discipline ourselves to change and grow. And that is true in a lot of ways for worldly things. But principles of the kingdom, spiritual principles, are almost always backward from the world. Spiritual growth in the Christian life is really meant to come more effortlessly than that. Let me show you. 
Ephesians 3. There's a passage of Scripture. In many Bibles, it's titled, Paul's Prayer for Spiritual Growth, or Paul's Prayer for Spiritual Strength. Look what Paul says here, starting in verse 17. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I'll pause here. First insight. God's love is the source of strength. Simple as that. Let's continue on. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. Second insight here. God's love is a message for everyone. Not just new believers, not just hurting believers, all God's people at any age of any experience. The third insight from that, God's love is a huge message of which we should continue to experience. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, fourth insight, God's love is a deep message. It's not shallow. It's a deep message that can never be fully understood. I mean, you're going to learn layer by layer by layer as you go. And Paul concludes here with the results. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Fifth insight. God's love is the source of satisfaction, peace, joy, and all the power that comes from God. So get this. I mean, I'd say if anyone had some advice worth paying attention to regarding spiritual growth, it's the Apostle Paul. Yet in his prayer for spiritual growth and strength, he doesn't give a multi-step plan. He doesn't say practice this or work on that. He doesn't even mention lifting a finger. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, if you want to sum up his prayer, he says that all peace, joy, strength, and power comes from letting yourself be loved. You never graduate beyond God's love. There's no deeper message. Real change and power don't come from what you can do. They come from God's love for you. There's nothing that constrains sin more than the love of God. There's no solution that heals more than the love of God. There's no strategy that delivers more than the love of God. Let yourself be loved. That's what God told me. And man, I'm glad I got that. I'm glad I got that when I did. It's never too late to get this message, by the way. If you're 70 or 80 right now, just be glad you're getting it. A lot of people don't ever get it for some reason. Be glad you're getting it when you get it. But as I told a group of high school youth group students a couple weeks ago, if I could go back to their age and give myself advice, it would be to prioritize the love of God to not graduate beyond it, as I said. That would have saved me a whole lot of grief, shame, and mind games. Now, I'm 
I'm sure. I'm sure. I know that people did tell me that back then. But I brushed it off as elementary. Christianity 101, good to hear one or two times at the beginning of your salvation, but move on from it. You know, that's what I thought. And maybe I had to go through what I went through to get here. I mean, maybe I had to do all that stuff to really appreciate where I am now. I mean, that is, after all, what law is meant to do. That's its purpose. All the do's and the don'ts in the Old Testaments weren't meant to be the source of peace, joy, strength, and power. They were meant to bring people to the end of themselves, basically to exhaust themselves, to realize their need for God himself, to depend upon him for their strength and salvation. I recently caught a bunch of flack on TikTok for saying this, but I stand by it. No Pharisees, no Sadducees, no wooden seas or couldn't seas are going to change my mind. This entire book here that we know of as the Bible split into two sections. The Old Testament, which spans about 4,000 years of human history, and the New Testament, which chronicles the life of Jesus' 33 years. This Bible illustrates that love did in 33 years what law and legalism couldn't do in 4,000. It's love that really healed. It's love that really delivered. It's love that really saved. And it's love that still does the same today. Let yourself be loved. Now, I understand that's easy to say. But how do you do it? It's kind of vague, right? I mean, if I say receive God's love, what would you do? Would you open up your hands? Lift your hands? Then what? Would you sit cross-legged on the floor and breathe deeply like someone meditating? What would you do? Love is an intangible force like gravity. It is a force, though. And it does things like gravity. Like gravity, it's also invisible. So you can't really see it or touch it, even though there's a power to it, and it's doing things. So how would you receive it? What is the process? Well, it's not really a process. It's more from a realization. And I'll give you what helped me and continues to help me. First, I had to realize that I am not a disappointment to God. You have to know. You are not a disappointment to God. Because believing you are a disappointment to God is an absolute love blocker. If you think that your every flaw and failure keeps God from loving you, then you'll likely enter performance mode trying to overcome those flaws and failures but that's only like running on a hamster wheel, which might be a good way to burn calories, but it's an excellent way to burn out, which is a horrible way to live. Dictionary definition of disappointed. Here it is. Sad or displeased because someone has failed to fulfill expectations. Listen to me. You know that God is all-knowing, right? 
That's called omniscient. Like nothing ever dawns on God. Nothing surprises him. He's so all-knowing that even he knows every possible outcome, even every possible choice of everyone. And when it comes to your life, well before you were born, he knew the things you'd do and what would happen to you after you were born. In Psalm 139, 16, David prayed, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was laid out in your book. To the prophet Jeremiah, God said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And really, those two things can be said of any of us. Get what this means. Before you came together in your mother's womb, God knew how you'd come together. So there's no quality about you that takes him by surprise. God wasn't waiting for your parents' gender reveal party to know what you'd be. He wasn't shocked to see you had red hair. He wasn't surprised to know that you have ADHD or that you struggle with having too many Krispy Kremes. He wasn't stunned that you're an introvert instead of an extrovert. Or vice versa. God's expectations about you were set well before your conception. So he can't be. He's not disappointed about how you turned out. And because he saw your days recorded in his book, he's not surprised by all the steps and missteps that got you here. He wasn't bummed out when you failed that test because you chose to play video games instead of studying. He didn't wear out his heavenly loafers from pacing back and forth, waiting to see if you'd choose to go to church on Sunday or stay in bed with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets who apparently are in revival these days. He wasn't traumatized when you made that desperate choice that's haunted you with shame ever since. No, before you were born, he saw all those choices in his book, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knew what he was getting when he made you. So he can't be disappointed in what you've done since he made you. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have preferred you to make different choices. God would rather you don't suffer. He'd rather you don't go through a lot of things that we go through. I'm just saying that because he can't be surprised by it, he can't be disappointed by it. He can't be disappointed by you. And get this too. Knowing all about you, God loved you first. Knowing the most about you, God loves you most. Knowing what you'll do tomorrow, next year, next decade, God still loves you. If we would really get this, I'm telling you, the love of God would hit you like a tidal wave. A huge part of letting yourself be loved is knowing that God loves you where you are, as you are. It's also knowing that there's nothing you can do to undo his love for you. A few months back, I caused some people on Instagram to lose their minds 
when I said you can't out-sin God's love. Now, no armchair theologian on social media is going to convince me otherwise. I still believe that. But since the word sin is apparently elevated in some people's minds to be mightier than the Almighty, I won't say that you can't out-sin God's love. I'll say that you can't undo God's love for you. Is that better? It's all just another way of saying what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5.8. He said, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, there are really two truths in this single verse. The first one is the way most people teach it. And that's that before you accepted Christ, God loved you. Like smack dab in the middle of sin. On your worst day, down the darkest path, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you on that day, in that place, in that condition. Let a sinner really get a hold of that truth and it'll love them right out of their sin, I'm telling you. That's why the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. But the second truth is really found in the context in which Paul wrote this verse. He's writing to Christians in Rome to assure them that if God even loved us while we were sinners, then we certainly shouldn't question his love for us as Christians. That's why he continues in verse 9, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from condemnation. These believers were apparently battling condemnation and questioning if God still loves them, much like many of us do today as Christians. And Paul basically said here, stop questioning that. God loved you then and he loves you now. Nothing can change that. And he actually came out and said it just a few chapters later in his letter. You'll see it in Romans 8.38. And I am convinced, he begins. Basically, no Instagrammer with too much time on their hands is going to persuade Paul otherwise either. He said, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And he lists all these things that can't do it. He lists angels, demons, fears, worries, powers. None of it, he says, can get between you and God's love for you. I just put it plainly always. That means no person, no past, no battle, no sin, no symptom, no struggle, nothing. You simply can't outsend God's You can't outsend God's love for you. And I said what I said I wasn't going to say. I'm not saying go out and sin. I'm saying you can't outsend God's love for you. You can't undo God's love for you. This isn't saying you have a license to sin, but it is unashamedly saying you have a license to be loved as a human being who every day falls short of the glory of God. And that's just Bible. If you get that, you'll naturally have more power against sin. 
than any willpower, than any muscle or might could ever produce. Letting yourself be loved is also remembering that when you do blow it, when you do fall head first into something you aren't proud of, you don't have to beat yourself up with condemnation, but you can pick yourself up with the reminder, God loves me. You know that right there, that sentence, that single sentence that you can pick yourself up with reminder, God loves me, that describes repentance more than all the words in the most fire and brimstone messages you've ever heard. Repentance isn't about slugging yourself up to the altar every week to pay for your sin in tears or beg God to forgive you just one more time, Lord. Will you do it one more time? But repentance is remembering that He did forgive you because He loves you and then letting that empower you to change directions. And if you think about it, this has been the key to spiritual power since the beginning. Adam and Eve fell. They cowered and hid in shame. That's what guilt does. Guilt doesn't empower you. It causes you to hide. It depowers you. But God pursued them. And He brought them out. He stood them back up. And they stepped out of their shame and went on to create a family. David had an affair with Bathsheba, then plotted to have her husband murdered. His prayer after that, what he said after that, is found in Psalm 51. Look at this. David says, Have mercy, O God, because of your unfailing love. He recognizes God's love. He goes on, gets to verse 12. Look what he prays. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You see, it's the joy of salvation, which is experienced by God's love. I mean, that is what the joy of salvation is. It's knowing that you are loved by God. He says that is what, that is what will empower him to obey. That's what it does. He lived his life empowered by the joy that comes from knowing God's love. And that was before Jesus died for sin. In the New Testament, Peter denied Jesus three times. Not good, but not a surprise to God either. Jesus told him that he would, yet he still did it. But knowing what the cross did, and having been with Jesus after the cross, he went on to preach a salvation message on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were added in a single day. He couldn't have done that had he lived in guilt for doing what Jesus warned him that he would do. No, he was empowered 
by love. Same with the Apostle Paul. He persecuted Christians. You know that. But he met the risen Savior. He met Jesus himself on the road to Damascus where he wasn't condemned. But he was accepted, greeted by the very person he persecuted. This is love, and it's what propelled him forward. Redemptive power is only found in love. Only love has the power to take something bad and turn it into good. Only, only love really has the power to heal. Only love really has the power to grow. When you fail, it's the devil who wants you to stay sulking and busy trying to reprove your love for God, only so that you'll fail again while you try to reprove it, and again, and again, and again, never getting to the place where you've ever felt like you've proved it. That's why after you fail, the faster that you can remember God loves me, the faster you'll get back up and get on to doing what God has called you to do. I mean, being obedient is empowered by love, too. Heads up, it's going to feel weird. It's even going to feel wrong at times. When you fail and then immediately say, God loves me, thank you, God, for loving me, you probably will feel like you have just gotten something for nothing. The enemy will make you feel like a thief. Say it anyway. Don't think, oh, I've, I've got to at least give it a couple hours before I can say it, or I better help at least one old lady across the street before I can say it. No, say it right away. Believe it right away. As Paul told the Philippians, forget what lies behind and press forward to what is ahead. And the only way you do that, the power to press forward, comes only from letting yourself be loved. Friend, for so many years, I thought that the Christian life is about how much I could prove to God that I loved Him. But that didn't produce the fruit I thought it would. No. Peace, joy, growth, healing, deliverance, power, what we all want, right? It came when I discovered the Christian life is really about being loved by Jesus. And then, letting myself be loved by Him and experiencing it to this day and beyond, layer by layer by layer. And it'll be the same for you. Remember, you aren't a disappointment to God. You can't undo God's love for you. When you fail, don't beat yourself up, but pick yourself up with the reminder of His love for you. So I speak Paul's blessing for spiritual growth over you. May you have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ and be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from it. In Jesus' name.
You know, a big part of this ministry is to produce practical tools that help you apply these teachings in your everyday life. One of our tools, which is especially helpful toward receiving God's love and letting it do its work in you, is my 30-day scripture reflection journal. It's called Think on These Things. 30 Days Power Thoughts. This journal uses the way that God designed your mind to rewire it according to His love and grace. I teach about how that works in a short chapter that begins the journal. Then every day for 30 days, I lead you through a scripture and reflection prompts that activate the mind-rewiring principle basically effortlessly. It's what does the work. So at the end of 30 days, the goal is that you really do live in the peace and empowerment of God's love and grace. This journal is available to you with free shipping in the United States at kylewinkler.org journal. That's kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website, kylewinkler.org, on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.